0: The stack class live before is so chouette Les avis pétantes et super, une fête Je pense que c'est effectively cool Je pense que c'est effectively wild Effectivement sauvage Effectivement sauvage
1: Welcome to episode 2005 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined, as always, by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you?
2: I'm doing just fine. <laughs> <But> <laughs> how are you? If you want to repeat what you just told me before we start recording, I don't know whether to. I mean, I, I want to ask you how you're doing before we are actually recording, but then yeah. I have to ask you how you're doing once again. we're recording again. Uh-huh. So, I'm pulling back I, the curtain here.
1: Um, I'm. I'm good. Um, I'm on. I mean, I, I think. I think. Let's do this. <laughs> set our expectations low let's let's view this as like my as part of my rehab assignment okay <laughs> so uh you know definitely uh in throwing shape mm-hmm. H- how much zip is on the fastball i don't know I, I think we're gonna find out um yeah uh the covid came for me ben
2: yeah, so there's no truth to the rumor that you've been playing hooky so that you could just read the collective bargaining agreement no. cover to cover.
1: <laughs> and in fact, you know, one of the things <laughs> I'm not like breaking news here, um, but you know, one of the things that uh, COVID is famous for is giving me kind of a brain fog.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I haven't cracked it even. Mm.
2: Even wow. a little bit yet, Ben. You, you waited so long. I, I mean, it's know. Finally out there for everyone. I to know.
1: I'm so. <laughs> I'm so excited. I wish I could um, tell you that I. I sat down and I started thumbing through just. In a in a rush, a joyous, rule bound rush. But um, instead, I uh, rewatched part of the first season of Stranger Things. So you oh. know, who could say what was more productive? Really,
2: <laughs> right? Well, that's important too. Yeah. I look forward to any tidbits you turn up when you do finally just immerse yourself in yeah. the CPA and however long that PDF is. It might make good convalescence reading once yeah. you're up to that. Once the fog clears.
1: Yeah, the, and and I will say like the fog is is mostly cleared. I was able to like edit and stuff. Um, th- mm-hmm. th- thank thank goodness for um for good teammates though. You know because mm-hmm. like um on Sunday uh, evening I said to you. Then it, it happened, it finally happened. Yeah. And you were like, well, let me know if you need the day off tomorrow because we were supposed to record. And, you know, you know, there's people who have a, a wide uh, range of experiences with this, obviously, some of which are quite severe, and I've been fortunate to be spared that. But Monday I woke up and I was like, yeah, I'm, I can't record.
2: <laughs> yeah, you went on this, the COVID IL.
1: Yeah, so I appreciate, um, I appreciate John filling in uh, and keeping things humming along at the site, and then Will for... for for moonlighting as me, um, I, I think that like the words per minute probably about the same, at least when it gets its most frenzied for me. So um, you know, adults shouldn't have to have fevers. I think is one thing I've arrived at. That's uh, uh, an experience that. Well, I mean, I don't think children should have to have them either. But um, yeah, you you really don't. It's not great. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, everybody uh, keep, uh, keep watch yeah, the, out there.
2: They always tell you the, the fever is not the problem. The fever is protective, right? But it's uh, also uncomfortable. So there's that.
1: Well, and like that's true to a po- – I was going to say <laughs> to a degree, but that's too <laughs> funny. You know, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I need to monitor this like um, yes. actively because it can, can mm-hmm. spiral on you. I think the body aches were the part that I disliked the most. Um, but you know, I'm uh, I'm still obviously uh, at home and uh, hanging out because uh, don't don't have a, a negative test to my name. But um, mm-hmm. it stunk, so mm-hmm. you know, do do what you can to uh, uh, not get it and not give it to other people because um, it wouldn't be a, an experience I'd recommend. And I um, I think all things considered, got off pretty easy in terms mm-hmm. of the
2: COVID. So yeah. Well. Glad you're back. Glad you're on the upswing. Thank you. So me too. We are gonna talk about a bunch of injuries today, I think, on this episode. More, what uh, is
1: going on? <laughs> Why what, what what do we need to what do we need to change in society? Ben? Yeah. Well, to keep I, these elbows safe. I you have know? some
2: ideas, but I, I do want to give you a, a quiz first. I mean, not, oh. not like a scary, put you on the spot Jeez. quiz when you just came back from COVID. <laughs> just I did watch
1: ex- a lot of baseball in the last couple <laughs> of days, okay. so I'll say so, that.
2: So this is extremely low stakes. What I want to know is how good you think... Jake Diekman will be for the oh. Tampa Bay Rays. That's oh. I'm sure you've what spent, spent days and hours pondering this question as yeah. you were recovering from COVID. I want to know this because the Tampa Bay Rays just signed Jake Diekman, <laughs> yeah. Right. And Jake Diekmann was a cast off from the Chicago White Sox. right? And he had pitched very poorly for yeah. the White Sox at the start of this season. And then the Rays signed him, right? And so whenever the Rays sign anyone, yeah. per- particularly some nondescript reliever, right? Everyone, everyone goes, oh well. well now he's yeah. he's, he's going to be, be amazing, amazing right? now. Yeah. <laughs> so I want you to, without actually putting any money on this, put your put your <laughs> figurative money where your mouth is, and I I will play along too. Okay. How good do we think Jake Deakman will be? Do we really believe? in Rays reliever magic here. And for context, like Jake Diekman has been an effective pitcher yeah, in the past. Yeah, he's been
1: good. At, yeah. He has been, at times, um, quite good, you know? Yeah,
2: right. It, it wouldn't be unprecedented <laughs> no, if, if definitely he pitched not. well for the Rays. At the same time, though, the Chicago White Sox just decided that they had yeah. no use for Jake Diegman. And the Chicago White Sox, I believe, have one lefty on their entire I you were pitching say, staff. one
1: reliever on their entire
2: <laughs> well, pitching staff. Yeah. The, the White Sox are famously not off to a good start this season. The Rays are off to a historically great start. And so when you see the White Sox decide this guy can't help us and then the Rays say, oh, maybe he can help us. Well, obviously the Rays think that Jake Diekmann will be better for them than he was for the White Sox or they would not sign him because uh, if he continued to pitch as he pitched for the White Sox, then he would not help the Tampa Bay race. He had right. almost an eight ERA yeah. <laughs> for, for the White Sox in 11 <gasps> innings. But, but,
1: <laughs> but, you know, a f- a five nine six 6 so. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And You know, he, he had like a basically a five ERA last year too. He was right. uh, somewhat more effective for the Red Sox and then not effective for the White Sox. So he preferred one color of socks to the other. And mm-hmm. so basically yeah. he hasn't been... Decent since 2021. He hasn't been good since 2020, right? And that was a short sample, inning, right? Yeah. yeah, and then 2019 he was, eh, and then yeah. 2018 he had like a seven and a half ERA in the small sample. So you really have to go back to <laughs> well 2017 he barely pitched in the majors. So 2016 I guess he was he was pretty pretty solid that year, and uh, 2015 pretty you know you have to go back several years to like when you're like, oh, Jake Diekman, right? So so obviously the Rays think he can be better than that. And and the White Sox, like if they thought he had anything left, you'd think that they would want him even more than the Rays because they need pitching more than the Rays do. And again, they have one lefty on their staff. The proximate cause of the Rays signing Diekman was that Garrett Clevenger, he got hurt he's yeah. out for the season, it looks like. So the Rays were like, oh, we need a lefty. Let's go get Jake Diekman. He was yeah. a freely available talent. So I, I'm sure the Rays, the, the fact that they signed Jake Diekman doesn't mean that they think they're going to make him into some dominant late-inning arm. Sure. It's just like, oh, we need someone right now, right? And and right. He, he might not even last long right. enough with the Rays to actually like determine whether they made him good miraculously right. or not. <laughs> but, right. but still, I want to know... What's our, our guess? I guess the funny thing is that his last two outings with the White Sox came against the Rays, mm. who in an inning in two thirds scored six runs off of him <laughs> or earned and oh, hit a homer yeah. and and drew three walks. So, like, they saw him being bad for the White Sox, and yet they must have seen something, right? They must have thought we can fix him, we can rebuild him, right? (laughs) Right. Because otherwise they would not want to sign the guy who stunk to start the season and stunk specifically against them. So can they work, raise magic, with Jake Diekman, what's your expectation? And we'll just assume that he actually sticks with them long enough for this to be meaningful. But like, give me give me a FIP. Like if and and obviously if he were to stick with them for the rest of the season, that would probably mean that he was pitching well. Right. Right. So, yeah. So if we project that he's going to last, then, then
1: we're probably looking at. Yeah. You know.
2: So so I guess what we're saying is like, what is Jake Diekman's true talent? as a tampa bay raid <laughs> <Right. laughs> and, yeah. and i and his projection so uh, according to the fangrass depth charts his fifth fifth projection and i don't know if this is with the white Sox or, or park neutral or with the rays or what now but it's uh 4.53 right so that's your your baseline jeep yeah. Deakman fit projection
1: yeah, well, I'm going to answer your question with a couple of questions of my own, Ben. Um, <laughs> okay. Just to start, and that's not me buying time; it's me um, trying to get some jokes in. The first <laughs> is like, on the one hand, yes, if uh, if the White Sox thought he could do something, surely they'd hold on to him. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a way to ask this question um, politely and not sound like a jerk. But like, do they know what they're doing? Like, as a <laughs> well- you know, like I-, I think that there is a a scenario where the White Sox say to themselves, you know, if he could fix this thing, he'd be fine now. Like he'd be, you know, maybe he wouldn't be a great reliever, but maybe he'd be like a league average guy, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know how to do that though. <laughs> like, you know, this this might be a thing where like the the they're struggling to sort of help um him course correct. So there's that piece of it. The the other piece of it is that um, as you've noted, they are like really bad. Um, as a baseball <laughs> team, like as we were recording this on Thursday, they're thirteen and twenty-five, mm-hmm. and uh, I am given to understand that Jake Diekman is owed four million dollars this year. Now they're going to have to pay him some of it, mm-hmm. right? But um, but maybe they're like, well, we'll get rid of him and someone else will pick up the minimum part. I don't know, mm-hmm. like that bit of it, you know, like that about a bit. Yeah. What do the Rays think? Well, they probably think that maybe they also wonder, do the White Sox know what they're doing? Well, you yeah. Know? And like, <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> and like they know what they're doing. Um, And while the Rays are in a position of like, uh, really being very good at baseball and obviously wanting to continue to be very good at baseball, it isn't as if they don't have a bunch of other.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Really good dudes, including a couple of uh, good lefties, you know, in mm-hmm. their bullpen currently. So, I think that if I'm Tampa, I might look at it and say, well, one thing about it is, what's it really going to cost? You know, Mm -hmm. maybe we help fix this guy um, and uh, he can be useful in a very particular way. I mean, surely their advanced guys probably saw something and then were like, well, what if we teach him that one cool trick? I mean – I guess if you want to be encouraged, you could say that while his like average fastball velocity is down slightly, it's not like it didn't like crater, you know, it didn't like tank. It's down from what it used to be, but like compared to the last couple of seasons, it's like, you know, kind of sitting around the same Mm -hmm. and, and yet, and yet striking out so many fewer kinds of guys. So mm-hmm. not kinds of guys, but just guys. I mean, like mm-hmm. maybe they are different kinds of guys, Ben, but <laughs> probably who could, who could say if they were the same guys as last year or not? I
2: think it's though like they must think that he could contribute right away because this sure. isn't like inviting him to spring training and, hey, we'll see what, what he has and we can work on some stuff, right? Yeah. And they're off to a great start, but it's still a tough division. They yeah. don't want to just sort of throw away any games, uh, even if he's going to be a super low leverage guy for them. He would but, be a
1: super low leverage guy.
2: Yeah, but, but they must still think because the average reliever this year has a 4.15 FIP, and so Jake he, Diekman's projection, yeah, again, than, is is yeah. 4.53. So that would suggest he's a below average reliever. Right. And you'd think that the Rays, even depleted by... Some pitching injuries as they are, they seem to have an endless number. They got so many guys, <laughs> right? So, like, they must think he can help them yeah. in some way. And uh, recent results would suggest that that he cannot, right? He, right? he has not pitched in a way that would help them for. No. Nigh on three years now, Nigh I think. So. <laughs> on. Wow, we how got
1: many, a lot, of, we got yeah, fancier in uh, my absence. How many
2: podcasts are you going to hear that expression today? I don't but, know, <laughs> but so they must think there's like one weird trick not yeah. to make him dominant or anything, but to make but just him just to make him playable something playable. that the White Sox couldn't figure out or couldn't convince him to do, or maybe even his previous team. So, so give me a number. Your estimate of of Jake <sighs> Diekman's true talent as a Tampa Bay Ray, fip was, and again, the, are, are you going over or under? I assume you're not going over
1: no. the projection, but no, I um I wouldn't dare. You know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. insult. I mean, I apparently insult every single um white sock, but mm-hmm. I will. I would never insult uh, the Rays like that. No, um, I will say that he will register a I'll I'll say that he'll beat the depth chart projection but not by like a lot. Let's actually let's do this. Cuz mm-hmm. there is, you know, as as our listeners might remember, the depth chart projection, it takes zips and steamer. Mm-hmm. And- mushes them together and it yeah, you know applies other that's stuff. That's the technical term. Yeah, yeah it mooshes them together mm-hmm. and then it applies the playing time stuff and da-da-da. And so like Zips has even less confidence in um in Jake Deekman than say the White Sox do that Zips projects him for a 496 mm-hmm. FIP which is pretty bad, not as bad as what he's done so far but pretty bad. Steamer's a little more optimistic and says uh expects a, a 4 uh, 0.10 FIP. And so I'm going to kind of, s- not precisely, but sort of split the difference. Let's say that he'll have a 425 fib. Okay. That's a good guess. Yeah, I think... I mean,
2: is it a good I, guess, Ben? Who knows? Who, who knows? It's I, a, it's it's a guess. guess. Yeah. It would right. be
1: really funny if the White Sox were like, you know what? This guy's bad, so are we. But like, if we get rid of him, someone else signs him, we get to keep $500,000 and mm. pay him less. You know, maybe... <laughs>
2: That would be really uh, pretty I, I, sad. Before I saw the projection, I I was going to say four point five, just because sure. I, I, you know that would be a lot better than he's been lately. Right. <laughs> so I was giving the Rays some credit, but right. not miracle worker credit every time like sprinkle raised dust on on every lever and they're incredible that's not necessarily the case so so i was gonna say 4.5 that i saw the projection and and if that's uh kind of his his baseline projection then you would think that the rays could better that if anything so i mean i i guess my guess would be sort of similar to yours, except I don't want to. I don't want to make it super boring and identical. So I, I guess I'll say I'll I'll go under yours. I'll say four, wow. and really my guess is that he doesn't last long enough for us to to figure it out because uh, he's replacing Chase Anderson on the roster, and Chase Anderson just joined the Rays this month and then he had two outings, didn't give up a run, and then they're like, all right, next, <laughs> Jake Diekman. So <laughs> odds are he's not gonna be a temporary Ray or at least in the major leagues for very long. But I, I feel like, you know, because we ascribe such powers
0: yeah, to the rays.
2: Do. And and they do often seem to justify that. And of course there's the famous Sam Miller tweet about right. race trades, and you just sort of assume great trade, great signing by the Rays. Who did they get? Who'd they give up, right? So yep. then you find out they got Jake Diekman. Huh. huh. Okay. But if you really believe in Ray's magic, then you should think that Jake Diekman is going to be the next great pitcher for the Rays who no one well, was thinking about. So,
1: but- I- I don't know about that. If you really believe like, <laughs> can you name five of their relievers Ben? Yes. I mean, like, you know, even really good player dev teams. And I think that, you know, it's not controversial to say that the Rays are one of them. Like they don't hit on every guy. That's part no. of why you take a volume approach too. Mm-hmm. like, if you're good at it and you know, not everyone is going to work out, but you're willing to sort of cycle through the, the fringes of other big league rosters. No, they're, There are some parts of that that we might think of as sort of unsavory. But, like, you know, you know you're going to miss on a lot of them. But if you hit on a couple, like, really worth it, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think why this particular example was so intriguing to me is because it is seemingly a case of the Rays betting on Rays magic to some extent. Right? Because, uh, again, he's been very bad. So he has to be (laughs) better. (laughs) They have to think he'll be better than he's been.
1: Or they wouldn't do it.
2: Yes. Because
1: he does take a a roster spot.
2: Yeah. So they're thinking we could fix him at least to some extent that he will be, as a stopgap, temporarily useful to us. And the White Sox, who seemingly are in more need of him, concluded that that would not be the case for them. So this is kind of a a bet on – player development at the major league level right so I wanted to make a little bet of our own with zero stakes even even lower stakes than the Rays signing Jake Diekman. so that's our extended analysis of the Rays signing Jake Diekman. I just I don't know where else you're going to get that kind of content honestly like what other podcast is breaking down the Rays signing Jake Diekman? but I don't know I think it's it's emblematic of a larger trend that we talk about so we'll see if the Rays uh, are just so Special that they can actually make Jake Diekman into a serviceable reliever on a first place team in a great division. But I guess we can sort of segue into injuries because it's an injury that caused the race to sign Jake Diekman. And that was. What a knee injury, right? But there have been so many arm injuries lately, and that's not new. We could have said that at any point in the past several years, and we have (laughs) while doing this podcast, but there have been a notable number, and I've been particularly struck by the number of, well, elbow issues that turn out to be Tommy John or UCL-related in many cases, but start as... Forearm strains or flexor strains, and I don't know whether people listening to this have the same shudder that I do when I hear forearm strain or flexor strain. I just have this instinctive, I, I recoil. Oh no. It's it's almost, it's like more ominous than some more serious actual injuries because on its own, it shouldn't be that bad. But right. my impression at least was that in many cases, it's a prelude to uh, Tommy John, to an extended absence. And I was thinking of this because Max Fried just went on the IL for Atlanta and Max Freed has already had a Tommy John surgery. And that was some time ago. Now he is on the IL and again, you know, they're downplaying it to a, a certain extent, and I know nothing about Max Freed's specific situation, but forearm strain was the diagnosis, and then it was reported, hey, he had an MRI and nothing super concerning and structural damage. He's just going to need some time, right? And, and Atlanta's had other pitching injuries, too, right. and, and Kyle Wright is out, too, so they're hardly alone there. But when I saw that Max Freed had a forearm strain, I thought, is that as concerning as I suspect that it is. And then I was thinking of Herman Marquez, who it was reported that he had a forearm strain and the same song and dance about MRI and uh, nothing super concerning and no structural damage. And then pretty soon after that, he was having Tommy John, right? And... Gosh, you don't even have to range far from the Rockies because Antonio Sensatella now he has also gone on the IL, I think, or was removed from a game. Yeah, with a, he at a, least a came out strain. yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if Rockies fans are probably thinking, here we go again. We just saw this with, with Marquez. Are we going to lose another guy when we're already shorthanded, literally? So I was just kind of curious about like what does a, a forearm strain mean, you know? And and as I was looking into this. The Twins announced that Tyler Malley is going to have Tommy John surgery, not our listener named Tyler Malley, but the actual Tyler Malley who pitches for the Minnesota Twins. So he was also a guy who just recently went on the IL with a forearm strain, right? Or a a flexor strain. And those are the same thing, by the way, which I, I kind of clarified for myself. A, a forearm strain and a flexor strain, those are just different terms for, for the same injury, at least in in most cases. So I wondered, I wanted to talk to some people who know more about this to decide whether we should be worried about Max Fried beyond just this immediate forearm strain and whether just in general, is it a death knell for your UCL if you go on the IL with a, a forearm strain or a flexor strain? So I called up a couple people One was Glenn Fleisig of the American Sports Medicine Institute, and he's a longtime biomechanics expert, and I've talked to him. I'm not sure if I've had him on a podcast, but I've talked to him for many an article in the past, and he just knows a ton about pitching and pitching injuries and the strains on pitcher's arms. So I basically just uh, asked him to explain the elbow and how forearm strains are related to ucl strains and and so forth so here is just a quick clip kind of edited and condensed of uh, how he explained the relationship between those body parts
0: when your arm cocks back and then you had to kind of catch it and then get it going forward it's very stressful on the elbow and the ucl could tear what's happening biomechanically in the elbow at that time the elbow has its maximum rotational force torque at that time it's really pushed to its limit, obviously, because sometimes it breaks, you feel it tears. What we found out in the biomechanics research is that the stress or the torque, actually, on the elbow at that time is pretty much equally divided into three responsibilities. It's the UCL has to do one-third of the torque. The elbow muscles have to do one-third of the torque. And the bone-on-bone, the, the forearm bone touching the uh, upper arm bone, that has to do a third of the torque technically it's about 100 newton meters and it's about 30 to 35 newton meters for each. And then why I'm saying that is other biomechanics research we've done has shown that 30 to 35 newton meters is about the most a UCL can take. So when things are going well, you're pretty much stressing the UCL to its limit every pitch. If the muscles can't do their third, then the UCL has to do more than its third. And then it's the stress the UCL, is more than it could take. Oh, oh, by the way, when I say the muscles of the elbow, I'm particularly talking about what's called the flexor pronator mass. Those are the muscles that contribute and help protect the UCL in particular. It's not the biceps or the triceps. It is the flexor pronator mass are the muscles whose function helps the UCL. If the person does have a forearm strain, they gotta rest or get that fixed, rest or rehab, because if you try to pitch with a compromised forearm muscles, then that will greatly increased your chance of ucl injury
2: okay so i think he laid that out in a a pretty clear way that uh, i as a layman could follow so if there's something wrong with your your flexor tendon and that flexor pronator mass it's like a bunch of different muscles and it's like right next to your UCL. So they're often kind of associated and they, they share the load along with the bone. And the bone doesn't break <laughs> so easily, but the other things do. The The muscles can get hurt. The tendons can get hurt. You can't even really strengthen a tendon that much. So that's why we get so many UCL injuries because it's just the weak point And Guys keep throwing harder and harder, and they put more strain on their arms, and then that's where it snaps, basically, not to get too graphic about it. So I also... Talked to Stan Conti, who has been on Wild many an episode ago. And he used to work for the Dodgers and the Marlins as a head athletic trainer. And he has his own injury consultancy service. And he's uh, just worked a ton with injury data and with teams over the years. And he explained some of the same stuff that Glenn did to me. But then he also explained that sometimes there can be some imprecision, let's say, when it comes to defining exactly what the injury is. So here's some stuff that Stan said on that subject.
3: Uh, What teams report is like what the White House reports, right? Sometimes it's in the neighborhood, but it's not exactly, and they want to kind of throw you off a little bit. Uh, No likes to put up that he has a UCL strain or sprain or whatever because that's like everybody goes nuts, right? So a flexor strain sounds not as bad, right? It's going to be okay. It's a strained muscle. It's going to get better. What teams are putting out uh, that goes on the IL is not always really super accurate. We see this with obliques too. They'll use something else. Um, They'll use the word intercostal sometimes because they don't like the word oblique because oblique sounds terrible. Oh, no, the guy's got an oblique and he's going to be out 30 days and that type of thing. So you see some people, the way they put it out to the media uh, is to minimize the potential thing. Uh, I think they're close to the best or stuff like that, um, you know, for a, a multitude of reasons, whether they need to trade for somebody now or do something, or if this guy's going to be out a year and a half, all those kinds of stuff, there's some, there's some um, reasons not to give out all the information. The team decides what they're going to put out. And they're not lying, because the guy probably does have a flexor strain. There's a lot of flexor strains. Or they have some old injuries that you can see on the flexor. So by saying it's a flexor strain, they're not lying to you. They're just not telling you the entire. And then the question always is, if he has a flexor strain he he sits out you know six weeks, gets back, and then has another injury, then that flexor strain probably overloaded the u c l and the u c l blew out
2: okay, so don't know about any specific case, any specific pitcher, any specific team, but sometimes if someone goes on the i l with a flexor strain slash forearm strain, it can mean that there's also... Some other stuff going on there, and maybe the team hasn't been super open about that. And you can, yeah, yeah, I'm blowing everyone's mind here. Not every injury is uh, exactly described in detail to the public. Not not every IL stint is uh, totally legitimate and above board. I know I'm dashing dreams of uh, how honest and forthcoming teams can be. I mean, knocked me over, Ben. I know in baseball, I think we we have it pretty good relative to. Some other sports, right? When it comes oh, to like yeah. teams actually disclosing injuries and explaining what they are, as opposed to hockey or something where it's like
1: he has a leg, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, like well, yeah, we knew yeah. that part.
2: <laughs> right? Like, we,
1: we're looking at him. He's got yeah. two, in fact.
2: Like, is this uh, Sid, like? Did he? Is it an amputation? Like, is there just a muscle strain? Like, what's going on here? All the same sort of terminology. So in baseball, we have it pretty good when it comes to the transparency, yeah. but it's not total transparency. No. So. There can be cases, perhaps, where a team seeks to minimize the panic, maybe, and the concern, and probably are not outright uh, lying or or deceiving, but maybe omitting a a few tidbits here and there and just saying, like, you know, we, we hope that this will get better and we don't want to alarm anyone unduly, and as Stan said, like there could be other incentives for them not to to be completely transparent about that, and and the player may prefer it that way. So, so that's one scenario when these things happen. Another scenario, as mentioned by Glenn, is that if you have a forearm slash flexor strain and you come back too quickly then you might be in trouble because that's, I was going to say shouldering the load, but I guess it's more like elbowing the load, that those muscles aren't elbowing the load and therefore more strain is going on to the UCL and snap, sproing, it doesn't actually Make the sound spring. I don't think, but I'm trying to trying to make it sound uh, more cartoonish and and <laughs> less less painful and, and depressing than it actually is.
0: <laughs> it's
2: a whimsical sound of a UCL snapping. So so that's one possibility that maybe there is no UCL damage when you go on the IL with a a forearm strain, but then you come back too maybe soon. too quickly and you don't even realize yeah. and and then you incur some UCL damage. So there might not be any, anything nefarious, any shenanigans. It, it might just be a subsequent injury that comes from that. It could also be that there was some underlying UCL damage and that's why you got the forearm strain because the UCL was not elbowing its load and therefore there was more strain on the forearm on the flexor. And so that's what caused that strain, right? And so it's sort of a, a symptom of an issue with the UCL and, 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 Look, their pitchers, like, their entire arms are mincemeat. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it's, it's probably pretty tough to read an MRI at times because, like, everyone's got some degree of damage. Right. And it's always like, is it so much that it can't recover with rest and rehab and platelet replacement therapy and all these things? Do we have to replace it, basically? And that can be kind of a, a judgment call. So there could be some fraying or something or it might be tough to tell really serious damage from just kind of run of the mill every pitcher is constantly hurting themselves kind of damage so there are all sorts of possibilities but what it boils down to is yeah it is kind of concerning <laughs> it's, Yeah, there are reasons to be worried when someone gets a forearm or flexor strain that there's something else going on there or there could soon be something else going on there
1: well, and it's a tricky thing because like there's the there's the subterfuge part of it and we know that sometimes the subterfuge can be deployed, not in the interest of, like, protecting the privacy of the player, but, like, you know, you want to do a little messing about, right? Mm-hmm. You want to do a little messing about. It is, sometimes it is, like, shenanigans, you know, they're up to shenanigans, and, and we've seen, like, the extreme version of shenanigans where, you know, you you have a guy who's, like, injured in a way that the, uh, the team he currently plays for doesn't tell the team he's going to play for about, and then A.J. Preller gets mm-hmm. in trouble, right? So, <laughs> you know, We've seen that version of shenanigans. But there is this uh, there's the weird tension, not just in your elbow. Because <laughs> it's like on some level, it's very much our business because whether um, – the elbow is shouldering the load. What? What did you say? Elbowing the <laughs> elbowing load? Elbowing the load. Elbowing the load makes it sound like you have a mountain of laundry and you're like, get out of the way. I have to leave my bedroom yeah. now.
2: Neither Glenn nor Stan used the phrase elbowing the load. So yeah, you mean my that's, my that's not a medical
1: therapy. term? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't teach that one in medical school? Mm-mm. Um, But also, like, so on some level it's very much our business because it obviously determines whether these guys are going to be available to pitch and it shapes our understanding of how competitive the team is going to be and what the trajectory of their career might be, but also fundamentally, like I thought to myself, do I want to tell people I go? But it's not their business. And then I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Like I'll tell people because, like, that's the thing that I had. So that I don't want yeah. people to think I'm slacking. I was just <laughs> sick.
2: Anyway, I thought you were slacking, but I I think really, like, both of them stressed to me that it's definitely not like a one to one thing. No, there's going to be
1: a lot of variability. Yeah,
2: there are pitchers who have just strained forearms or flexors and they rest and they rehab and they come back and they're fine. So it is uh, far from a sentence to UCL replacement surgery. Stan sent me what he said was the best study on this publicly, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but it was done by Chris Ahmad, who's a, a doctor with the Yankees. And it was Based on 2010 to 2014 data, this was published several years ago. And what he concluded back then was that about 20% of major leaguers who have forearm strains do have UCL reconstruction within the next year. So so one in five. So it's definitely elevated compared to the general pitcher population, but it's still... More common than not that you won't have it, at least within the next year. So. Maybe that's hopefully kind of (laughs) encouraging, but basically if you suspected that uh, sometimes a a forearm strain can augur something worse to come or something that has already happened that we may not know about, yeah, there's some reason to think that, which is certainly not to say that any specific pitcher or Max Fried or Sensatella or or anyone else does not just have what the team says that it has. I have no idea how common that kind of uh, obfuscation, let's say, is. So, it's it's good to know that that might occur. <laughs> but, uh, but it's really like, even if you don't have a forearm strain or a flexor strain or some kind of prelude to it, sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's kind of out of nowhere, which... Like listening to those guys describe the anatomy and all the strains and forces, it's, it's shocking that it doesn't happen even more than right. it does. Because you know, if if we tried to throw with the force that they throw with, there would be spraying instantly. Like we we couldn't even <laughs> generate that force. But uh, you know,
1: <laughs> I'm so resentful of you introducing spraying <laughs> because now when we talk about this. Potentially devastating injury. I'm gonna laugh, Ben.
2: <laughs> well, at least still cheer you up a little bit to think of this whimsical sound that, that UCL snapping doesn't actually make. But really, like it. That's why we don't see pitchers throwing even harder than they do. Like we've right. seen, we've seen the maximum. Velocity not really increase all that much over the past several years, even as lots more pitchers have clustered closer to that maximum. And that just seems to be because there is an upper limit, basically, like how much – tension that and torque that ligament can sustain. and I, I'm sure there's some genetic variation there. and I guess you could have someone with just like a freakishly strong UCL or no UCL if yeah. you're dicky or whatever. Right. but like for the most part, there's a limit there. And Glenn was telling me that when they've done cadaver testing that like the the cadaver UCLs like cannot withstand the strain of of just a regular you know kind of throwing motion now they are cadavers Wait,
1: how do they how did they make the cadavers throw baseballs
2: that's you know that's an excellent question i
1: you know i um, i'm just here to submit that there are a lot of reasons i'm not a doctor and <laughs> Make cadaver throw baseball high on the list.
2: Yes. So the fact that uh, cadaver's arms go flying when you try to subject the UCL to that force, obviously a little bit different from a healthy and living (laughs) young athlete doing the same. But still, there are tolerances there that just are not high enough to sustain this. And that's why it keeps happening. And that's why it's going to keep happening. And so you see staffs get depleted and sometimes there's very little warning. Sometimes it's like Luis Garcia, right? Right. Where there wasn't really like a tremor before the shock, you know, it it just happened. It just snapped. And and that's sort of what Glenn was like, you know, it can sometimes just take one pitch because the torque is so strong that like if the other parts there that are kind of cushioning the UCL don't do their part then then sproing. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to take like tons of of wear and tear. It it might just take that one traumatic delivery. So you have just pitching staffs that are just decimated by this stuff constantly. And that data that I cited from 2010 to 2014, that might be a bit out of date. Stan with saying that they're way more tommy john surgery certainly at the minor league level than there were back then and it could be because mechanically those guys are not as refined right and so major league guys they they might have the mechanics that allow them to to do it and sustain it for longer whereas if you're just kind of wildly throwing but still throwing really hard then you might be more likely to spring so i think (laughs) it you know, you look at some of these teams and, I mean, the Braves are are doing just fine, but but their staff has been depleted. Yeah. The Astros, they came into the season without a lot of pitching depth, which was something that everyone was talking about then. And they've lost a good deal of it, right? Yeah. And, and the twins, you know, the, the twins are doing well too, but uh, losing Mally is a big blow to them too. And yeah. it, it really, like, not only does it suck when one of these guys goes down, but it also sucks because you're constantly in a state of not knowing when someone will go down and The track record of being healthy and durable is no guarantee whatsoever that uh, they won't sproying on the very next pitch. So you're kind of in a constant state of like, please be okay, (laughs) Please hold up. I don't want to lose you for the next 18 months or so. So it's not a great state of affairs. It's not a brand new state of affairs either, but it continues to suck.
1: It's one of those things where you you think about what our understanding is. Like, our anatomical understanding was when people started playing baseball compared to what it is now. And on the one hand, it's like, wow, we can, like, you know, we have Tommy John surgery. Well, this is an incredible thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's so amazing that, like, these guys. And then you're, like, weirdly less worried about them for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they just fixed it. So, like. Right. You know, it's gonna be like me when I test negative for COVID. I'm like, I won't get it for a little.
2: While. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost like the the Peltzmann effect, which I bring up from time to time, which is basically like maybe you wear a bike helmet and so you are riding a little more riskly because uh, subconsciously you think, well, if I do a header here, at least I have a helmet. You're not thinking that necessarily, but but you know, below the surface, you might take more risks or be inclined to take more risks because you have more protection. It could be a sort of similar thing where it's like well if something springs we can fix it whereas in the past it might have been career ending you're really
1: you're really committed to (laughs) i know i guess
2: i guess i'm really embracing this but (laughs) but in the past that would have been the end of your career in most cases many cases whereas now it it really bad to have yeah. to do all the yeah. rehab and the surgery and, and everything and take all that time and no guarantee that you will come back and be just as effective. But because there is a remedy and because it's fairly reliable, even if it's a major setback, it's still sort of like, well, it's it's an epidemic. It's a really bad thing about baseball, but it's not necessarily ending careers. So can we just tolerate this constant risk and this ever-present threat and I've talked about this before, but I, I think the only thing you can do is find a way to makes, make pitchers throw max effort less often. Right. Because this the studies seem to show that the more you throw closer to the top end of your velocity range when you're throwing max effort, that's what really does the damage. Because it's like Glenn was just talking about with those forces, it's all like very finely balanced right. where you're basically throwing... As hard as your body can withstand, as those weak points of the arm can withstand. And so, if you're constantly throwing, you're like, you're right on the knife's edge. I mean, when it comes to the surgical knife, right? Because you're throwing a hundred. That's why I'm always just... in a constant state of terror about jacob de Grom and just yeah. like take a little off jacob because uh you could still be effective and it would really be a load off so that's what all the studies show like it's yeah on the whole maybe a harder throwing pitcher is more likely to get hurt than a softer throwing pitcher but it's really the range the variability within that one pitcher's velocity range even if you're a hard thrower if you take a little bit off then that's good. If that's protective, if you're constantly throwing as hard as you possibly can, then that's just going to take its toll inevitably. So there has to be some mechanism to protect pitchers from themselves and and convince teams to protect pitchers by having them pace themselves. And I just cannot think of a more effective way to do that than to try to continue to lower the number of pitchers on the active roster. Their resistance and problems, as uh, Morgan Sword was saying on one of last week's episodes but i think it's got to be done for the good of the game and and for pitchers health
1: i do. i was gonna say like i do wonder you know knowing what we know now if we went back in time would would we have baseball you know would people be like this is a reasonable <laughs> sacrifice to make in your elbow like if you knew the damage you could do but you didn't yet know that we would eventually have the means of like
2: repairing
1: mm-hmm. it in in a way that preserved careers and allowed guys to like really come back and pitch well. Like would we would we have our sport, you know? we <laughs> when we're like it like pulls all the stuff apart torque torsions. Tor- <laughs> tor- like ugh. Yeah.
2: I'd it's like boring. to think that exactly, Sprague, I'd like to think that the entertainment value is uh, it's a net good and and even if guys get hurt if if they have great success for a while then maybe it's worth it to them in the long run and sure. at least with something like a UCL injury, it's it's not necessarily something that will handicap you in your post-playing life so that's some consolation I suppose but It really is, like, you would think that everything would be pointing toward fewer injuries because we have better treatments, we have... Miraculous surgeries it would have seemed miraculous, right? Just being able to replace a UCL. They
1: seem yeah. miraculous now. Ben, yeah. did you hear this thing where they're making cadavers or baseballs?
2: <laughs> that too. Miraculous. Yeah. I guess they always probably could have done that if they just I wanted like to be. I
1: You know, I, I'm <laughs> I'm happy to donate my body to science, but I don't want to think about what mm. science is going to happen after that. Like, you know, <laughs> right. I'll be dead. It's not my business yes. anymore.
2: Exactly. Yeah. But but you'd think like with all the, the strengthening programs we right. have and all the knowledge about how pitching when you're fatigued can, can do damage and and we don't see young pitchers racking up huge pitch counts and innings counts and, and pitchers just on a whole, like all the individual pitchers, uh, they're throwing fewer pitches and they're having more rest between outings and all these things that we thought would be protective. And yet, there seemed to be as many injuries as ever. And I think it's because of the, the max effort. You know, not that there weren't always injuries. Of, of course there were. And when there were injuries, there was often no remedy really. But I, and I obviously it wasn't diagnosed as well. And pitchers weren't as forthcoming about those things, especially because there was only so much you could actually do about it. But right. you'd think that we would have solved this. And if anything, it seems to be getting worse kind of paradoxically counterintuitively but i don't think it's necessarily a mystery why i i, I think we kind of have an inkling of why it's happening and there just has to be a collective will to do something about it so given all that though i, I was thinking did you see the the quotes from jack flaherty about his velocity
1: <sighs> yeah i yeah. did yeah
2: so jack flaherty He's tired of being asked about his diminished pitch speed, right? And I'm uh, quoting here from Jeff Jones, Cardinals reporter. And here's what Flaherty said. The next time somebody wants to mention the velocity on my fastball, just I'm not going to answer that question. Like, I'm going to play with the velocity of my fastball based on what the game calls for. I can get outs. If I need to get outs at 95, I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. I've thrown freaking fastballs at 87 before in games when I've been at my best. I'm just saying because y'all want to make a big deal out of it, and I'm tired of it, and I'm not. It's so ridiculous. I'm going to go for what the game calls for, and that's part of pitching. So if you want to ask, you don't understand the art of pitching, I'm going to go with what the situation calls for and what the game calls for. You have to manage pitch count and manage the way that the game goes. There are certain times when you up it, and now you're going to start seeing 94, 5, 6. Certain times you might need to be like, okay, dude, the situation calls for it. You adjust. That's how the game goes. And then I guess the reporter said, we don't know that unless we ask. And then he said, well, then you don't understand pitching. So, cool. it got a little combative, which I guess is not a, a first for Cardinals pitchers in the media maybe. At least he didn't blame Wilson Contreras. That was nice of him. <laughs> I am um,
1: I, – so, like, I I will uh, admit that I have not listened to mm-hmm. the, the- – weeks first episode cuz again <laughs> i was um watching stranger things um so. yeah yeah very important but um seems like the vibes over there are not good ben
2: like, yeah I, <laughs> it,
1: it would appear that the vibes in Cardinals land are pretty bad i mean like <laughs> this is just such a silly and unnecessarily combative thing to say like i i understand it, it has to be deeply frustrating right like There, there have been times in Jack Flaherty's career where he has been just wonderful, right? Like that 2019 season he had was so good, Mm -hmm. and he was so good. And then this year, uh, he has not been so good. You know, Mm -hmm. it has been, and it's it's been a while since he's been. Even if you're just looking at ERA, like it's it's been a a while since he's been Mm -hmm. good. So that's not great. I guess that there's a, a a version of this answer that could be informative and less combative, right? Where like maybe Mm -hmm. a guy throws a lot of different kinds of fastballs and they operate within different velocity bands and they have different, you know, shapes and they move in different ways. And so the game situation, but that's not what he's, that's not, I don't think what he meant. Like, I don't, Think that that's he's just yeah. he's but, just talking about his four-seamer, right? Like,
2: yeah. I, I, see, the thing, reason I brought this up is that like I, I want pitchers to do what he's right. saying that yes. he's doing, right? So, so right. if that's the actual, actual explanation for diminished velocity, then I would like to support that, if anything. Sure, and, and I think there is. Something to be said for the idea that we're all hyper focused on on pitch speed, right? Yes,
1: and and to and probably to our evaluative—that's hard to say detriment,
0: yeah.
2: right? Probably, yeah. There might be things that we overlook: uh, right. deception, uh, command, whatever it is, Shape. right? Yeah, and so we are all hyper focused on velocity. Yes. It's not just. The pitchers themselves and the teams. It's also the media. It's the, the sure. scouting industry. I mean, we're all sure. looking at the radar gun or looking yep. at you know the cameras and computers, right? <laughs> I kind of uh, prefer calling it the radar gun, even if there's no real radar gun involved, even if it's not some scout <laughs> holding up a gun somewhere. But that still happens sometimes in some Yeah, places.
1: but then sometimes, but then sometimes you'll be in a setting where somebody says without thinking. You're going to get your gun out and then you're like, oh, we've <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> we've gone into yeah. a very
1: bad place. Yes,
2: right. <laughs> so so I, I guess that's kind of contributing to the problem potentially because if a pitcher were doing what Jack Flaherty says he's, he's doing – and there are some pitchers who obviously do – take a little off it at times. I mean, just totally. has been famous for doing that. And Shohei Otani has done that at times. And, but it used to be very common and uh, I've talked about and written about that's less common, like the variation between pitch speeds, your same pitches. It's, it's smaller than it used to be because it's just closer to max effort all the time. So if you had a throwback, and maybe Sandy Alcantara does this to some extent just to pace himself. If you had someone who's pacing themselves and they were constantly getting questioned about velocity – That'd be bad, right? Because that would be like reinforcing the idea that you have to throw as hard as you possibly can at all times. And especially if it's a young guy coming up and maybe it's an amateur player at showcases or it's someone in the minors and and they're just trying to conserve some energy and, and not to put too much strain on themselves. And yet the scouts for their own team, for rival teams, for the media, whoever it is, if they're constantly reporting, like, well, where was he sitting? Where was he maxing out? Right. You know, and so if you were intentionally taking some speed off, then you would almost have to be shouting that from the rooftops and saying, "No, that's what I'm. I'm that's I'm trying on purpose." To do, right? Yeah, because otherwise, people are going to think you can't do it, right? Or that you're hurt or something. You know, right. something's wrong with you, right? And that's kind of the the catch twenty two because, like, it is important. You know, how right. hard you throw is very important. important. I mean, it's it's not. The entire picture, it's far from the entire picture, but it's probably the most important single piece of the picture. And there have been innumerable studies showing right. that, you know, with Jack Flaherty even, I saw, I think, Tom Tango was tweeting out how much more effective his fastballs are when they're thrown harder. I mean, yeah. thats it's not surprising. It, it matters. So if someone sees that you're not throwing as hard, then they might lower their evaluation unless they know, oh, that's what he's doing. And pitchers aren't really being asked to do that these days. Now, I'm not saying I think that's the entire explanation for yeah. Jack Flaherty not throwing as hard as he used to. And Dan Semborski of FanGraphs was kind of fact-checking him a little on Twitter and, and noted that, you know, because Flaherty was saying he's thrown 87 in games when he's been at his best, and Dan pointed out he's thrown 21 fastballs in his career at 87 or slower— All but five were this season. Right. And two were in a June 2021 game when he was pulled after three with five walks. And one was in the June 21 game when he was pulled with shoulder pain. So (laughs) the only times he's done it are this season and games where he was pitching really poorly or hurt. (laughs) So so it's, you know, fact check, not entirely true. Like some number of Pinocchios there probably. And, And I sympathize because like if... The explanation is that he just can't throw as hard as he used to. Well, what is he going to say? Like, it's probably not fun to be reminded of that and question about that constantly. And there are pitchers who have to make the adjustment when they can't throw as hard anymore. And they have to learn to get by with diminished velocity. And some pitchers have done that really effectively. But coming out like he's in a walk year, right? It's a contract right. year. I mean, is he going to want to come out and say, I can't throw that hard anymore? Right. Maybe not. Does he want to have his nose rubbed in the fact that he can't throw that hard anymore? Probably not. So right. I, I get why it wouldn't be super pleasant to be asked about that if there's nothing you can do about it or if it really is part of the plan to some extent. So I'm just saying, I don't think that's the entire explanation for why he's not throwing as hard. But the point is taken i think or or should be taken that there is something to the idea of taking something off and pacing yourself sure, and totally. if everyone constantly piles on anyone who's doing that then we might drum that behavior out of the game even more than it already has been
1: Yeah i think that that's well i think that's well noted i mean i think the the i imagine that the frustrating thing for Flaherty is that like let's say starting tomorrow the assembled um Cardinals beats were like fine. We're not going to ask you about velocity. Well, he still has to help account for why he's not as good as he used to be, right? He's well, still. It's
2: Wilson like, Contreras' fault. I mean, I know he's DHing now, but still, he's around.
1: Well, sure, but like you know what I mean? Like the <laughs> the the question is being asked not just in service of like idle curiosity about fastball velocity. Like what they're trying to figure out is like. Dude, we saw you in 2019 when you were so, so good. And, you know, you you were throwing, like, uh, you know, almost two full ticks harder, at least on your four-seamer, than you are now. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, maybe, maybe what you're doing velocity-wise isn't indicative of injury or decline, but is purposeful strategy. Well, that purposeful strategy isn't resulting in effective outings. So... Right. So, okay, let's take that explanation maybe we take that at face value. We still need to interrogate it further because now you need to help us understand what like what are the criteria you're using to like keep adjusting velocity up and down? What are your other pitch- how are your other pitches playing off of diminished velocity on your fastball? You know, like even mm-hmm. if we took him at his word on this stuff, like we still have to try to answer the question. Now, I think that there can be room, and I I'm, I i am don't say this to accuse the St. Louis Beats of anything, to be clear. Like, you know, I think that the the Velocity piece has probably been at least diagnosed, if not, like, fully teased out um, mm-hmm. from him. And so now it's like, okay, well, now the project is figuring out, like, what's wrong. And they're going to keep doing that. And that's a reasonable thing for beat writers to do. That's sort of their job, is to figure out why one of the, you know, why a 27-year-old, one of the guys who they were hoping would have a big bounce back and be an important part of that staff and really help to stabilize that rotation, hasn't been able to do that. And mm-hmm. you kind of got to figure out the answer to that. And I I can totally understand how, as a human person who does your job in public, like, it probably really sucks for everyone to keep noticing it's not going well. Mm-hmm. But, right. like, it, it is. But I, I, I think your point is a good one, which is that, like, we should not just – we shouldn't assume, oh, well, velocity's down. That's it. You know, that's where the analysis begins, I think. And, like, there might be – that might – You know, for some guys, that's just going to be it. Yeah, For some guys, that's going to be the the thing. It's like, you used to throw two or three ticks harder than you do now. You throw less hard now, and stuff doesn't play as well as it did. And that stuff's getting beat in the zone, and it's running into barrels, and all of this stuff, right? Like, sometimes that's the end of the explanation. Sometimes it's the beginning of the explanation. Because sometimes you're like, you're not throwing as hard, but Mm -hmm. you're still really good. What's up with that? Cool thing. I think that all of this is a long way of saying, The bad news for Flaherty is that he's just not very good on a team (laughs) Mm -hmm. that has, like, it seems to be in an incredible amount of disarray and is grasping for answers as to why it's in that disarray. And we have collectively decided, I think correctly, that, like, blaming it entirely on their new catcher is probably not a satisfactory answer. So you're going to go rooting around for other stuff. And one of those things might be. Diminished velocity, but there's probably other stuff there, too. I think, again, the bad news for Flaherty is that, like, it's not like they're going to pull back the curtain and be like, well, the velo's bad, but all this other stuff is good. It's (laughs) like, no, it's all all pretty bad right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. In his defense, I suppose his max speed on a four-seamer this year is 97.6, which is... Roughly what it was in 2018 when he was a good rookie. So he is capable or has at least been capable of throwing that hard, I guess, yeah. sporadically. But yeah, it's it's not been good. I, <laughs> I want to start just blaming Wilson Contreras for things that go wrong in my own life. Just like, I lost my keys. Wilson, where are my keys? can't find Wilson Contreras. You've done it again. Maybe Wilson should be the new Morgan, the name that that you just shout when we're uh, blaming someone for something. No, but But. see,
1: when we call out Wilson, it's like we're calling out to the— Volleyball, right? Mm. We realized it was a volleyball, or did yes. we realize it was a soccer ball? Oh, no, I'm it, getting it's our a
2: volley, fact. It's a volleyball. Right? <laughs> Get, I'm yeah.
1: mixing up our fact check.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but some guys. I mean, you have Shane Bieber, for instance, who uh, is still quite effective with the uh, slower right. pitches, or or Clayton Kershaw, who we talked about. Now, you know, those are Clayton Kershaw is not a great comp for your average pitcher who loses velocity because he's Clayton Kershaw. And those guys have incredible command and other reasons why they can succeed like that but it, it can be done. It's uh, not necessarily something that spells the end of your career if you're a starter and you have other ways to compensate for that. But right. it's just, it's striking when you look around and Atlanta's rotation is, is screwed up and then you look at the Mets' rotation and the Mets, I, I really like the return on, on investment thus far for Mets pitching. Ew. has not been great. Like they, they had Justin Verlander get his first, Uh, win as a Met. He, He had kind of a vintage Verlander performance on Wednesday, but really, you look at the full season stats for the Mets, like I know going into that game, only the A's had a lower war From their starting pitchers Which is really not What you would have expected From the Mets Who were projected to have Maybe the best Or second best rotation And the results Just haven't been there And it's largely Guys being unavailable And you know Verlander's back now And Carrasco's uh, About to be back It seems like And it remains to be seen Whether Scherzer's Neck issue is is Super serious or not But all the fears About just like, this is an old team, you know, like the the Mets pitching staff so far this year, even with some of their older pitchers often being unavailable, their average weighted pitching age, 31.6 this season, mm. which is a full half year older than the Red Sox, who are in second. And that's not so great. The Mets offense is second oldest behind the Dodgers, too, but that has not been as problematic. And they have younger guys they have called up and could continue to call up. But the vaunted rotation that everyone was like, if they could keep these guys healthy, which, you know, I, I guess was the same thing that we said about the Rangers rotation. And so far, things have been going better for them, despite the absence of Degrom. But the Mets, man, like they've they've fallen on some tough times lately, and I don't know whether they're going to be able to depend on that rotation. Even though the names on the depth chart are pretty impressive,
1: yeah, it's um, it it's one of those things where a couple months from now, like maybe it'll all come together and everyone will be healthy and they'll be pitching Mm -hmm. great and no one will be getting checked for foreign substances. Or if they are, they will be. You know, what's the opposite of? Sticky, they'll be like sandpaper. No, that'd be probably troublesome. Also, they get what's the maybe bone dry, just like bone dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be like, oh, you know, we we overreacted. But right now, it's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna go. It, things are bad for both New York teams. You know, yeah, they're not the best. Yeah. It's um, I think that I mean, there's, the Yankees
2: just played the A's, which is a nice reprieve. So <laughs> they swept yeah. them out of town. But but yes, overall. It's not, not going great.
1: Yeah. It's it's not um it's not the very best that one can get the Mar- the Marlins have a better
2: record than the Mets, right? I now. mean I was just gonna say speaking of NL East pitching, uh, maybe they the most need- interesting story now is that they just called up Ari Perez. Yeah, they right? did. Who not to be confused with the Ari Perez outfielder. Right. Who once played for the Marlins right. or was on the Marlins? Not that I think a whole lot of people were confusing them, but right. but uh, kind of confusing if you just type in Aori Perez right now into right. say Baseball Reference and, and a, a name comes up with a Marlins cap and yeah. it's not these are not the Aori Perez the you're looking for. Yeah, so one of the very top prospects and, and top prospecting top pitching prospects in baseball is is coming up to the Marlins, who are now twelve and zero in one run games. Yeah, they were ten and zero. Last time I cited that stat, they're now 12-0, which is a record to start the season, at least. And, I mean, I, I don't think the Marlins are are good, really, like <laughs> the underlying team. But if you're 12-0 and, and you're five games ahead of your base runs record because all of those coin flip games have gone your way, right? Th- then I guess take advantage of it, although very aggressive because Auri Perez is... The youngest pitcher in the majors since Clearius debuted, I yeah. think. Like, young major league pitchers, like 20-year-old major league pitchers, are almost unheard of at this point. Again, because, like, teams are exercising caution right. when it comes to young arms. But <laughs> you just, you don't see this anymore. Like, he's going to yeah. be 20 years old and 27 days. Like, he just turned 20.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a young 20.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, this is like out of another era. And not only is he super young, but he's coming like he he barely was at double A, right? Like he had six starts in double A and and he did so well that that maybe there was nothing more for him to learn at that level. And it's uh, fairly common for top prospects to skip triple A these days. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> after we talked about just like how uh, scary it is to be a, a pitcher these days, <laughs> like yeah. welcome to the major zero Paris. But I am looking forward to to seeing him pitch and and hoping there's no spring in his future.
1: Spring. I mean, I guess the good news is that if you're him and you're you're running through. I mean, I don't I don't know the young man, so I won't pretend that I know what haunts him. But um. You know, if you're running through the list of things that you're probably actively anxious about as you prepare for your first big league start, like, I would imagine that there are are such pressing concerns, right? Like, the start itself and who you're facing and what Mm -hmm. it's going to be like and where you go. Mm I, you know, I would be so nervous about getting lost, you know? I would, I would, (laughs) anyway, I worry about that at ballparks now. Like, at the
2: ballpark or on the way to the ballpark?
1: Well, now both. Now that you've said that, I meant at the ballpark. <laughs> uh-huh. I still worry about that at, at ballparks I haven't been to before. And, like, no one cares where I go. I mean, they care. Like, sometimes you go to the wrong place and they're like, you are not allowed to be here. And then um, and then sometimes it really doesn't matter very much. But um, uh, all of that to say that the, the sprawing concern is probably lower on the list, not because it isn't, I would imagine, an active background concern for all pitchers all the time, but because there are so many other things that will have – Um, Mm -hmm. press their way up to the top of the list of anxieties.
2: Yeah, and probably not helpful to be thinking like, my elbow could blow up at any second now. (laughs) Right. Helpful in the sense that that maybe moderating how hard you throw would be helpful in the long run, but also for your confidence and your focus and and executing pitches, probably best not to have that in the back of your mind.
1: As we have discussed a number of times, you have to be able to just forget things if you're Mm going to be a professional athlete. And um, I think the reality is that since just one pitch can do you in right, just one random pitch, Mm -hmm. you'd have to be able to say, I can't worry about it actively, or you'd go, you'd be so distracted. You'd be, you'd be anxious to the point of distraction. See Mm -hmm. cat, you can't be on the desk while I'm doing the pod. You're not on the pod. It's not your show. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. You leave it in because Babby's very cute, but you can't see her because it's it's not a visual medium.
2: Well, that could have filled in for you while, while you were out, but it would have been a lot of dead air with an occasional meow, I guess. Yeah, the, the,
1: only, the only member of the household who was happy that I was sick was Babs because she's like, oh great, I get to lay on you for like 12 hours. Perfect.
2: she's not sick anymore, I guess, so that's yeah, she's progress, all, but
1: yeah, she had very expensive gas. She was fine the whole time. Then I found a little Ben okay so people are, not everyone's listened to the Patreon pod but here's a fun preview we talked about pet stuff guess okay. what i found on the ca- on the rug not long after like a yeah, perfectly preserved lizard torso head not there <laughs> oh, lower no. body gone two perfect hands oh, no. though Miles yeah. Michaelis
2: visited your house <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> we, we found a lizard head.
1: i think we found the source of bebette's discomfort don't come mm-hmm. back up on the desk it's not where you belong
2: <laughs> anyway so Clayton Kershaw, I just cited as an example of someone who has uh, succeeded tremendously with diminished velocity. Here's, I said nigh on earlier in this yeah. episode. Here's here's a word I haven't heard someone say in a while. This was a quote that Wade Miley gave about Clayton Kershaw after Kershaw's latest excellent outing. He's the best lefty we've seen in this game probably since dadgum Koufax. <laughs> dadgum, he said Dad Gum. I'm not going to do the accent or anything, but he said that's not like a euphemism for that's not like a print-friendly substitute for a a swear word. That's what he. That's what he just said. Dad, gum. Yeah. Now he's from Louisiana. I, I guess that tracks. I don't know that I've ever heard someone say "dad gum" in the wild. Yeah, but I live in New York. I guess that's probably not super surprising. But but I'm I'm heartened to hear that people still say "dad gum." We're we're probably going to get emails from listeners who say oh, "dad gum" yeah. or or know people who say "dad gum." But how about that? Wade Miley says "dad gum." Probably Kershaw, their dads. Probably best lefty we've seen probably since Dad Gum Kofax. And Dadgum Kershaw is still doing great with diminished velocity. But you know how we celebrated Kershaw recently just on the occasion of his 200th win, just because it was a round number and an occasion to talk about him. Yeah. Well, what about his former teammate Kenley Jansen on, on the occasion of his 400th save, which again is not a stat we would normally make much of, but Kenley Jansen. He has recovered his speed yeah. somehow. It it has come back to him. He is rejuvenated. Yeah. He, he is uh, suddenly excellent. So that's nice to see because uh, we talked about Craig Kimbrell the other day, and I kind of lumped those guys together in a sense because they have almost the same save total. I think Jansen is just like three ahead of Kimbrell now. And their careers have kind of overlapped and they have very similar war totals and Jaws totals and that sort of thing. But we talked last time about how Kimbrel is still getting some save opportunities. Yeah. And I guess even more now because Jose Alvarado, who's been yeah. amazing for the Phillies, he's got elbow issues too. Add mm-hmm. him to the list. Everybody's <laughs> hurt. I guess that means that that Craig Kimbrel closer to save situations, which is probably not a happy thought for Phillies fans. but. As he has declined and still been given high leverage opportunities, Kenley Jansen is closing and making it look easy. I mean, he's been never like as terrible as Craig Kimbrell has been when he's bottomed out, but he definitely looked like a diminished version of Kenley Jansen. And now he looks like the same old Kenley Jansen, but like maybe better in some ways, like. Mike Petriologist wrote about how not only has the speed come back, but the shape of the cutter is different now, and it's, like, getting more rise. It's, like, if anything, possibly more unhittable than it used to be. So... Nice to to see him still very much trucking along. And of yeah. course, you know, he's had heart concerns and everything, but he is uh, he's putting together quite a career. Like, you know, Jaws wise, he's basically like neck and neck with Lee Smith. So if you think Lee Smith should have been a Hall of Famer, I know Kenley Jensen doesn't have as many saves as Lee Smith. And I'm kind of not so high on on closers uh, typically as Hall of Fame candidates anyway. But Kelly Jensen's, is like as as close as you can come to one these days, I think
1: I think that that's right. And it's you know it's it's cool when guys can kind of recapture form and when they make, you know, he was so we we felt for so long like we knew exactly what we were getting with Kenley, like mm-hmm. like literally from a pitch perspective, right? Yeah. And then, you know, things sort of declined and drifted and things weren't as effective for him. And then suddenly he wasn't on the Dodgers anymore, mm-hmm. which still feels wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though the, uh, this isn't new now, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a new not Dodgers, but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice. It's nice to see him resurgent. I've always been a, plus we love a, we love a, a converted catcher. Becoming oh, yeah. a, a, a knockout reliever. We love that.
2: Yeah, one of the the just most colorful, like just most enjoyable career progressions and oh, trajectories yeah. that that any pitcher has had in this era. Just converting to pitching, then just having the the dominant, unhittable, like as close as you can come to Mariano Cutter. Yeah, and then seeming to fade, seeming to lose a little speed, and then suddenly it comes back with like a new and even improved cutter potentially, right. and. No pitch clock violations for him this year. That was a big concern, too. Like, slow worker. And he's been totally fine with the clock thus far.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's just humming along. Did you um, did you find that on the violations leaderboard? <laughs> yes.
2: yes, I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A handy, handy little tool, courtesy yeah, of Van Yeah, good tool.
1: Hey,
2: now that we have Yuri Perez, when are we going to get Ellie De La Cruz? Mm. That's that's what I'm wondering because uh, that caused quite a, a furor over the past few days. The Ellie De La Cruz game, when yeah. he had three batted balls in the same game. I think two homers and a double that were. 116 miles per hour or faster this was in a triple a game but as everyone noted no mlb player no mlb team mm. has done that in a single game in the whole Statcast era like all the games when when aaron judge and john Carlos stanton were playing together in the same game like the yankees never had three batted balls that hard in a single game which seems kind of incredible ellie ellie de la cruz did it in the same game, 116.6, 117.1, 118.8. And three uh, two of the three were were batting right-handed and the third was batting left-handed because uh he's a switch hitter too. Right. And he's six foot five and he's uh, twenty-one, not that much older than Perez, and and he's been tearing up triple A, not double A. So right. in theory, he's even closer. So uh when are we when are we gonna get to see Ellie de la Cruz? It's it's gotta be sometime soon, right?
1: I mean I mean, do you want my honest answer?
2: <laughs> when want- yeah, when will we see him? When does he deserve to be seen? I guess those Yeah, are- <laughs> those
1: feel like um related, thankfully, but distinct questions. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're we're getting to a point where it's like let's uh give him a new um a harder challenge and see how he does with it. Mm-hmm. I think is
2: what the answer should be.
1: Will it be the answer we get? I don't know, Ben.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know it's uh, tough to displace Kevin Newman. Kevin yeah. Newman's—he's got a stranglehold on that uh, sh- shortstop job in, in Cincinnati. Oh, you know, boy. just running that forty-nine WRC plus. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's that's tough. I yeah. know for a shortstop to break onto that roster right now. Yeah. How?
1: Like, why would you even think that there's room there?
2: Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. These these positional log jams. You know, sometimes you're just blocked by Kevin Newman and and, and <sighs> what are you going to do right just yeah. unfortunate situation but yeah i yeah. don't
1: want to be like um jaded or cynical but sometimes i feel both you know
2: <laughs> well whenever he arrives uh, that will be quite fun so oh yeah
1: it's going to be i just i feel like we're in a uh we're, we're standing on the precipice of just like a great era for for huge guys you know mm-hmm. i don't even i think that Oh, I'm about to invite something where we're gonna get a lot of emails. <laughs> I think that we need to fill out the beef boy taxonomy in a in a more complete way because like Ellie de la Cruz, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he is. A huge guy, like yeah. you know, he's 6'5". six five, six
2: five two hundred. Ari Paris six eight, yeah, 220. He's just know, enormous. He's a construction
1: crane. Um, <laughs> so, like, I, I but it does feel like we're we're on the the precipice of like a. a uh, a big uh good huge guy era you know maybe mm-hmm. it's just a, a, a tall guy era right cuz right. we and and like a tall at the at a position you don't expect era and we've mm-hmm. been trending this way especially at short stuff for a while now right like we mm-hmm. got big we got some we got some strapping fellas at short mm-hmm. these days, um, in defiance of the name. Um <laughs> but like we're doing we're starting to approach a new thing, right? And once we have like once O'Neill Cruz comes back um healthy and then when you have Ellie in the majors, it's like we're gonna be doing we're gonna be like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna be what we're gonna be like. And yeah. we can't call them beef boys. I mean they are like uh, but we gotta. I think we need to diversify, or not diversify the taxonomy, but like, um, you know, we have some, we have some work to do to acknowledge mm-hmm. the the diversity within the taxonomy. Yes. Um, and beef boy might not be. I don't remember how it goes in the order. <laughs> I don't think that's the highest order, right? I uh-huh. think beef boy is a is a is a sub classification of a, a different right. thing that I don't have a good name for you're, yet.
2: You're talking like the, the cat diagram where yeah. it's like chonker and mega chonker, that kind oh, of thing? Oh, no,
1: I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a thing I would like.
2: <laughs> you probably I do. Li- too, I but... do
1: like those big chonker cats. <laughs> yes. Oh, those big chonker cats. They're just like little gifts. I mean, they're not little, but... Oh, Yandy Diaz,
2: kid. by the way, has equaled his home run total from last year already. <laughs> so Maybe
1: the answer is that he had heard about ground beef and hated it.
2: Maybe. Maybe we lit a fire under under <laughs> that he's, he's welcome, charboiled Jeff. now by You're our welcome. our nickname. Yeah, so whether he's Launch Angus or Launch Meat or Meat Loft or whatever we decided on, he's he's still just cranking dingers out, and he looks uh, very, very intimidating at the plate. Okay, last couple things. One uh, maybe during your illness, you you may have missed an article that Kylie McDaniel did about Shohei Otani's free agent earnings.
1: $500 million. Dollars.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. So he surveyed the experts, right? This was uh, kind of a, a Krasnick, Jesse Rogers-style exercise, but specifically about Shohei Otani. He just— yeah. uh, Surveyed the baseball people: twenty-six executives, agents, and insiders. I always wonder, like, what qualifies as an insider? You know, like, <laughs> who's who's an insider who is not an executive and an agent? Uh, I, I want to talk about the taxonomy of of insiders yeah. while we talk about the taxonomy of beef boys. But mm. he surveyed. These 26, have you seen the results or, or can I quiz you about what you think the 26 said? Because
1: I saw I – mean, You saw I, the,
2: the headline, I the, saw takeaway, the he- I guess?
1: the headline okay. and I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And <laughs> right, then yeah. I went back to sh- – Season one of Stranger Things. They were so young, Ben. <laughs> they really are. They're going to be ninety when they see. Yeah, like this they're is all what happens.
2: Eerie Paris now. Yeah, but, this but is what then. happens.
1: You don't pay your writers, and then you're going to get like thirty seven year olds in the <laughs> midst of a crisis in the next season of Stranger Things. This is what happens.
2: Right. So they asked Kylie. Got twenty six responses from the panel, and here were their predictions for Otani's contract. There were six people who said under 500 million. Okay. There were 14 who said 500 to 549 million. Okay. And then there were six. Who said five fifty or more? Whoa. So it's it's kind of like a bell curve sort of situation and here. So, a- the, so that it averages the,
1: out to 500 fi- yeah, five uh, hundred. Yeah, five five
2: twenty four, five hundred twenty four point three million. Wow. I, what what Kylie did? There were a few predictions that were like he'll take a very short term deal with just an astronomical. Average annual value. So mm-hmm. he sort of he dropped those and and just took the ones that actually predicted that he would try to maximize the total dollars and go long term. And with those, it was like an average of eleven years and five hundred twenty-four point three million dollars, which is a forty-seven point five million dollar average annual value. Worth every penny, I'm yeah. sure. The the high bids basically so there were two deals that went over the 600 mark wow so there was a an 11 year 605 which is 55 per and a 12 year 600 million so 50 million av and 11 years 600 million dollar total price tag not out of the question according to the agents insiders executives etc but basically six said under 500 six said over 550 and then the bulk of the responses were somewhere right in the middle which mm-hmm. is again like not super surprising you know it 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 almost it has to start with a 5 i mean yeah. barring something going very wrong over the rest of the season. Right. It's hard to imagine that not happening.
1: So, yeah. <sighs> it's just
2: it's big numbers, but uh, yeah. as Kylie explains, uh, unique, unique player, unique talent. So, I mean, he was saying that maybe teams would be wary, obviously, like that amount of money, they're always going to be wary, but sure. like they can't model Otani really because he's right. one of a kind. So how do you model the risk? there? Right. Is it like more risk because the extra strain on him physically or is it less risk because if he gets hurt doing one thing he could maybe just do the other thing right and like if he hurt his arm somehow he could be a star position player we've seen him dh certainly when his his arm has not allowed him to pitch so there's that and like how do you project it no one has done this in so long that there's no like aging curve for two-way players like you could project him as two different players but is that valid? Uh, No one knows. There's no like risk model or projection system based on like historical comps that would really (laughs) tell you anything at this point. So it's uh, just kind of going in and hoping that he can keep doing what he has been doing.
1: Yeah. They were funny in the moment. But like in hindsight, it makes the various teams that were like, oh, we can't sign this guy or that guy or this other dude this offseason. It it makes it funny because like on the one hand, you're like, yeah, okay." some of those contracts were sizable. We talked a lot about that in the offseason. There were guys who signed really big, long, lucrative contracts. But then you hear these numbers and you're like, this isn't about, oh, well, we saved 20 million last off season. So now, Mm -hmm. now we're in the Otani sweepstakes. This is about having will, right? This Mm -hmm. is about payroll will Mm -hmm. and having the will to spend because you're not, you're not saving your way to uh, assigning Otani, right? First of all, don't be cheap, you know, leading up to Otani. He's going to know, he's going to look at your club and be like, "Mm, cheap club, you know, mm-hmm. you're 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 not paying guys. You're not trying to bring in big free agents. You're bringing in you're bringing in uh, B list guys. And he wouldn't say it that way mm-hmm. because he's nice and probably wouldn't talk about other players that way. But like, mm-hmm. it, you know, this isn't about a couple of bits and bobs and spare relievers here and there. This is about having the will to be like this is going to be for a front office that is probably even if. He goes to a club, which I'm sure he will, that has a history of spending money, is probably going to feel like a terrifyingly large sum. And you mm-hmm. just have to have the will to do it and go, but we get Otani at the end, you right. know?
2: Yeah. yeah. So. so the insiders were asked where he would go, but most of them didn't answer that because I guess it's just too far away, or they just didn't want to, or oh, because they're
1: cowards. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh, only a handful of teams were mentioned by the people who mentioned any teams. It's just uh, Dodgers, 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 you know, and yeah. some Mets and Yankees and and Padres. Just because uh, you why can't not count the Padres out ever? Because <laughs>
1: why not?
2: <laughs> Someone said Giants. Uh, I guess the Giants tried to sign every other free agent, sure. and one person said the Mariners. Uh, which
1: I was I, not asked. If anyone is wondering, <laughs> Kylie did not call me. You're NSA. not the insider
2: who said Mariners. No, I'm not. It's not me. Are, are you an insider? Would you classify yourself? Are we insiders? I don't think. I'm, I don't think I'm an insider. I, I, I could not pass myself off as an insider.
1: Yeah, I um, I'm like um, I'm
2: more inside than some. I suppose I'm not yeah. all the way outside, but I'm I'm definitely not all the way inside.
1: Well, sure. Like what? What would be? What would that? <laughs> What would that mean, Ben? What would it mean to be all the way inside?
2: (laughs) I guess insider is either you're working for a team or you have billed yourself as an MLB insider for some media outlet, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think that. Breaking news and transactions and stuff.
1: I think that my. When I think to myself, you know, as I'm lying in bed at night, who are the MLB insiders? You know, you think about that right before you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I think to myself, well, yeah, it's people who work for teams or like often people who work for the league. Um, and I and I will not, I do not say this to in any way slight our our friends and colleagues who work over there, but like work for the league in a non-media um, capacity, right? Like mm-hmm. who actually work for the league in a administrative yeah. um, rulemaking regulatory role, right? Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's what it's like to work for Major League Baseball. And then yes, a handful of um, national writers who I think of as being particularly plugged in, but i am I have a take, Ben, you want my mm-hmm. take?
2: Okay, yeah.
1: I think um, being an insider is a lot like having a nickname. You can't give it
2: to yourself. Uh Ah, okay. One cannot cannot, bestow insider status upon yourself. Yeah, one can't be like,
1: "I'm I'm an insider. And there are probably guys. Uh, you know, folks for whom mm-hmm. that is true. Like, you know, if Passon was like, I'm an insider, I'd be like, all right, Jeff, yeah, chill. But I'll I would also you. be like, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, sometimes you'll see uh, f- folks on Twitter being like, I'm a, you know, they have like insider in their bio. And I'm like, right. no, I don't <laughs> think that that's right. You know, yeah. and I wouldn't say that um, to them, um, mm-hmm. especially in front of other people. Cause I wouldn't be generous, but I mm-hmm. do think it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, know. uh, you dip the toe in maybe you're not an insider. Not right. Yet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that brings me to the last thing I wanted to talk about here. Mariners related, because mm. I, I've been thinking there are two teams that I look at, two of the most exciting teams of 2022, who had obvious needs mm-hmm. and weaknesses and didn't really address them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly looking at them and, and thinking, if they had addressed them, how much more fun would they mm-hmm. be? Right now. Yeah. The Mariners are are one of them because yeah. the Mariners have had fantastic pitching. In fact, they yeah, are leading the major good. leagues in fangrafts war by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. But <laughs> there there was a but coming there, obviously, and yeah, it's not yeah. and it's not Kyle Raleigh's. They have <laughs> <laughs> the eighteenth. Best yeah, position but, player war, yeah. and the WRC plus is uh, significantly below average. Yeah. It's it's nineteenth, and and this is not a shocker. Like some individual players not excelling, surprising. You know, Julio hasn't fully Julio'd yet. Yeah, and, and you'd I expect think he'll that be he fine, will. But yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and then some of the additions haven't really worked out so well thus far, including some that I thought were smart additions, like Colton Wong. Let's say, right? Yeah. Uh, they're just some guys who you might. Might expect to to pick up but that was kind of the the weakness right and and yeah. you certainly mentioned over the offseason a hey, couple the Mariners, times in fact <laughs> at least that hey they got there they finally got yeah. over the hump they made it back to the playoffs like keep the the good Times rolling here, you know. Like, don't stop now. Yeah. And they just didn't didn't do a whole lot of investing on in the roster. In addition to the investments that they had already made, and and they certainly have made some significant and meaningful sure. ones. And, and Luis Castillo has has been as uh, uh, great as advertised. What right. What a
1: what a. I got. Can we take a moment? Can sure. we Just take a brief moment to just. It he's so fun mm-hmm. to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so nice so that yeah. part's good but then yeah.
2: that part's great <laughs> right but but there's a bit of an imbalance there mm-hmm. and the other team that I'm putting in this category is the Baltimore Orioles mm. who are off to a, a strong start We're a stronger roaring, start in fact yeah a stronger start than the Mariners so they yeah. held their own against the Rays recently like yeah, they did they're not just frisky they're they're a good competitive team yeah. I think. and yet they Ooh. had an obvious need in mm-hmm. an area of weakness as well and it's uh it's kind of uh you would hope that that the, like the Mariners and the Orioles could could like somehow pool their their rosters and resources like if you could you know if you could combine them mm-hmm. into one team they'd be fantastic if yeah. you could give the Orioles the Mariners, Mariners pitching, pitching. Yeah. and you could give the Mariners the Orioles uh, hitting and position playing yeah. then boy what a team that would be yeah. but i have not read the cba yet but i think that's against it Well, and just
1: like logistically complicated because of where they are relative to one another, like physically, you know, it would be so tricky. Right.
2: Right. So the Orioles are middle of the pack pitching-wise, maybe a little lower. The Mariners are middle of the pack hitting-wise a little lower, probably. And then if you look at the Mariners' pitching is, uh, again – Top of the heap, and yeah. then if you look at the Orioles hitting, it mm. is also quite strong. Right, yeah. they are uh, seventh in the majors in WRC plus. Yeah. So every time I look at these teams, I think. These are fun, like really great cores here, Yeah, you know, maybe even more so in the Orioles' case because of how they've started. And they're in just such an extremely tough division, though, that 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 kind of raises the bar for how good they have to be in order to make the playoffs. And each time I look at them, I just think if you had pushed in the chips a little farther, like this could really be a super fun story because, gosh, the Orioles, like they just have so much – Talent, And there's maybe more on the way, but, like, you look at some of the, the, like, Adley Rutschman is an absolute superstar. Yeah. And, like, there's just so many other good players, and they've done a good job of, of developing players and getting the best out of some players who not that much was expected from, and just finding kind of a supporting cast and contributors. But the pitching other than, you know, when Grayson Rodriguez is going and mm-hmm. and that often looks quite good. Yeah. But, uh, and and they've had great finds on in some areas of the roster, right? Yeah. And, you know, like, look at what or Cano has done, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that kind of came out of nowhere. But, like, if they had just gone out and signed some pitching right. to go along with the hitting and just evened out, balanced out the roster a little bit, then, like, watch out so yeah and i guess we could say this about various teams and just say well if they had just signed some more guys like there are only so many guys so not every team can be good every year and not every team that is maybe not quite good enough can get good enough while all the other teams that are already good enough can stay good enough you know like there there's a finite i guess uh, amount of of high level talent here but it's not like the Mariners and the Orioles were trying really hard and and making runs at a lot of top free agents, and they just somehow fell short. Like they were just like, yeah yeah, we're we're happy with what we have for now,
1: right. Like. I think that um, now I'm just like, but how good would be if he were on the race? Um, <laughs> uh, be well, almost impossible for him to be better. He's been yes, he, he's he been has really, a zero ERA. So yeah, that's, he's been
2: about as good as yeah, ERA. He has can not yet yeah. allowed a run. He
1: has been pretty superlative. <laughs> um, he's been pretty superlative. He's been superlative.
2: You're not pretty superlative. You're just superlative. Yep.
1: So I think that you're right to say that not every team is going to be in the running for every player and there's a finite number of good players and those uh, good players come with a particular price tag and you're not going to win out on all of them even the ones that you really go in for and try to you know recruit Mm -hmm. but you don't you don't sign any of the ones you don't try to sign you know Mm -hmm. so I think that the the decision to sit out is what is often so frustrating I think that Fans react very differently. And it's hard for them to know, of course, like what are earnest, real efforts to try to sign a guy and what is um, sort of um, CYA after the fact. You know, oh, mm-hmm. we were in on that guy. You good? Mm-hmm. You know, did you hear right. that we were in on that guy? Right. Like there's a lot of that. But there are teams that are trying and are very earnestly attempting to sign guys to make their club better. And then they lose out on some of them because another team offers more money or a guy has some sort of personal preference that isn't entirely about the money. But I think that more often than not the money wins out and so if you're willing to spend it, you are, even if you don't get every guy you want, you're gonna get some of the guys you want. Mm-hmm. And they have committed some amount of payroll. I don't want to like downplay, it, especially what the Mariners have done in terms of, you mm-hmm. know, extending Castillo after they traded for him, certainly extending Julio. Um, but like when you look at where their payroll sits, um, just like right now, For the Mariners, they are 18th. They're tied with the Twins. This is not their luxury tax um, payroll. Their luxury tax payroll is high, but in terms of real payroll, they're at 157. It goes down in the coming years, even as they bring on some of their bigger commitments. Obviously, Baltimore has a long way to go. They only have (laughs) 63 million in payrolls, 85 million in. Um, luxury tax payroll I should say the Mariners luxury tax payroll sits around 200 million so we should be fair to them mm-hmm. um, but like you should probably not be satisfied with one appearance in the playoffs mm-hmm. I think in the <laughs> off season I encouraged them to um, be like Kylo Ren and I meant that in a very specific way of saying more over and <laughs> right. over again just that one yes. moment in the film but, but don't try to kill more camel because he seems nice
2: yeah Yeah. and and like the the mariners they signed julio so they did that the orioles haven't even done that aspect right they haven't they haven't signed Adley Rutschman. like they have they have basically no long-term commitments whatsoever like zero dollars beyond next year i think so it's just like they're so close and maybe maybe they thought we won't be that close again. Maybe they thought we're we're going to run into the plexiglass principle and regression. We talked about this on the Orioles preview because what they're doing is really impressive to have improved by as much as they did last season. And then thus far, at least, not to have taken a step back, but in fact, taken another step forward seemingly. Right. Like historically, that is extremely rare. Right. And so it would be a shame if they did that and then they did not add. Now, of course, they could add at the deadline, potentially, once... Mm They've established that that they're for real. But still, like to come into the season with uh, Cole Irvin, who was sent down in mid April, or right. Adam Fraser, who never really seemed to fit that well in that roster anyway. If, like Kyle Gibson, okay, like, you know, league average ish innings eater. Sure, they need sure. someone like that. But that's not like your headline acquisition no, for an exciting team that's uh, on the rise and has this great, young, inexpensive core. Build on build on the good vibes. Build on the progress. Don't just stop or say like we're one year away. So every time I look, and they're in roughly the same spot. Like the Mariners right now have a one in four chance to make the playoffs. The Orioles about one in three. Dish, different divisional situations, obviously, but right. same wild card race. So you know, you just kind of wish when I look at those two teams and I see. The weaknesses the the contrasting weaknesses but the same sort of lack of uh, aggression at least when it came to this past offseason specifically could have could have done a little more but you know they've uh they've managed to make it interesting nonetheless but you'd like to see a little more support from above
1: yeah i think that um it's a lot like what we've said over and over again there are a lot of different modes of talent acquisition in baseball and right now i think that you know you look at the orioles and what they've done they've Demonstrated that they are really good at the inexpensive ones, right? The ones where you are able to, because you have the first overall pick, get a generational, potentially generational talent in Adley Richmond. You know, maybe spend some money while he—he's not even arb eligible next year. He's still pre arb, so mm-hmm. just like spend some money because y- you should do it now if you if if you are going to constrain yourself and say we're not ever going to run a big payroll. Well, that's kind of dumb, don't do that. But if you insist on doing it, deploy the payroll flexibility you have now to win, Mm -hmm. right? Like, otherwise, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Why are we here? You know, if you, you're not going to change divisions in all likelihood, right? Like, you're just not. So, this is the division you're in. Go win in Mm -hmm. it. If you Mm -hmm. can't do that, then hire someone who can. Like, what are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. And with Seattle, I think part of why I find, and like, granted, it's May 11th. There's a lot of season left to play. And so (laughs) Seattle's fortunes could turn around. It would be nice if they could spend like a day over 500. Um, (laughs) But like Seattle could go on a run. Like, do I think the Rangers are going to win the West? Probably not. But I look at the West and it's like, well, Houston is vulnerable. They're vulnerable Mm -hmm. in a way they haven't been in a long time. Um, And that doesn't mean that they won't do things at the deadline to try to get better. That doesn't mean that they can't, you know, turn things around, it doesn't mean that the Angels are going to stay, you know, in second place in the division. They probably won't do that. Um, But, like, the best team in the division is vulnerable. So, sure seems like this is a year you should try to win the West. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a year where they could be, you know, justifiably, just like, I'm not going to be satisfied by a wild card. The West is winnable. Let's go win it. Like, I I want – that energy and Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to be the approach they took and you know did they know that they'd be sitting here on may 11th in fourth place but that the astros would only be a game better than them in third like probably not but maybe bolster your roster better in the offseason so that you're better positioned to take advantage of underperformance above you i don't know Mm -hmm. who could say
2: (laughs) All right, let's wrap up with the Pass Blast, which comes from 2005 and from David Lewis, who is an architectural historian and baseball researcher based in Boston. 2005, MLB puts minor leaguers in a box. Not literally, well, kind of literally, I guess, but a two D box, the batter's box, to be specific, not not like a inhumane kind of confining one. Stop me if you've heard this before. David says, but in two thousand five, Major League Baseball wanted to speed up games. To do so, they tried out a new rule in the minor leagues. Attempting to limit the length of at-bats, a new rule ordered hitters to keep at least one foot in the batter's box at all times. If a batter stepped fully out of the box, an automatic strike would be called against them. MLB officials said that if the rule was successful in the minor leagues, it would be called up for use in the majors. Sandy Alderson, MLB executive VP for baseball operations, said the playing rules committee hopes that the adoption of this rule in the minor leagues will encourage players as they progress toward The majors to develop and maintain habits that will improve the pace of play. As part of an initiative to speed up play, the league had shaved 11 minutes off of the average game length since 2000, but hoped to go even further with additional rules changes. So, like uh, many of the rules changes that were put in place to attempt to speed up the game prior to the pitch clock, it didn't uh, have a whole lot of effect. I mean, sometimes it did for a year or two and then enforcement would get lax or there'd be loopholes or it just didn't have as dramatic effect as they wanted it to in the first place, right? Because it wasn't entirely better stepping out of the box and dawdling and walking around. There was some of that, certainly, but it was also the pitchers (laughs) playing a big part in that too. So, obviously, this was not the... uh, the panacea that uh, MLB wanted, and that's why we got the pitch clock. Yep. Eighteen years later, yep. there, there was there was a brief moment there where they started doing that stuff in the majors and and it helped like you know there was a little bit of a, a downturn in the game lengths but it wasn't huge and it didn't last very long and then, like all the measures were sort of piecemeal and like yeah. the enforcement was lacking yes. and it was just kind of a game by game umpire by umpire sort of situation and no one really wanted to call anyone on it that was just kind of the consistent theme of a lot of the rules changes like until this year you know which they really they have made it consistent and, and uniform and top down and backed up and whether you like the rules changes or not, and I think most people do, it's uh, like they're actually being enforced, which yeah. is nice and they're having the intended effect, which is satisfying on a certain level.
1: Once again, it's about having the will to do it.
2: Yes. Well, we couldn't even get this episode up without another pitcher suffering some sort of forearm ailment. This time it's exciting A's rookie Mason Miller, placed on the IL with forearm tightness. Maybe tightness isn't quite the same as a strain. MRI came back clean for any structural damage. Fingers crossed for no spring. And the Dickman watches on. Jake Dickman made his Rays debut, pitched a scoreless inning, no hits, no walks, one strikeout. However, he hit Harrison Bader with a pitch. That's a 0 ERA, but it's a four point three one fifth take that miraculous raise still it was his first walkless outing since April 16th maybe they did fix him is it too late to lower my estimate also just wanted to relay an update on one of Sam Miller's minor obsessions I'm sure we must have talked about this in the podcast at some point I know he wrote about it in 2017 he's been waiting and hoping to see a throw ricochet off of a thrown bat on a play at the plate so a batter strategically places the bat somewhere near home plate the throw comes in the throw bounces off the bat and careens away the runners safe. It's one of those things that we talked to him about that he's never seen, wanted to see. He had found accounts that it had happened in the past, but had never seen it with his own eyes. And now he has. It actually happened this week. May 9th, the Mariners. Ty France singled, tossed his bat so that it bisected the third baseline a little bit outside of the batter's box. And here's the call.
3: A lot of
0: room out there, one pitch. And he finds it through the 6-hole left side. Murph scores, having to he fly it. Here's the throw for the left field it's a break. is in safely. Two.
2: So congratulations, Sam. I hope we all get to see the thing that we want to see happen on a baseball field. Maybe I'll get to see one of my mid-plate appearance pitching changes one of these days. Today's new Effectively Wild theme song comes from Chase Eisman and Tristan Rodman, who collaborated on a song from Paris and Los Angeles as the Gagnés. They've been friends since they met at Toluca Lake Little League. They share a love for Eric Gagné, All-Star Baseball 2002, and the MVP Baseball 2003 soundtrack. And now they love Effectively Wild. If you love Effectively Wild, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Effectively Wild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay almost ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. John M. Bremen, The Challenge Chronicles podcast, Nick Holcomb, Nathaniel Heater, and Greg Stahl. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only, and for many patrons at this point. You can be one of them. You can also get access to monthly bonus episodes, Playoff Live, Live streams, discounts on merch, and ad-free FanGraphs memberships, and so much more. patreoncom wild. You can also message us through that site if you are a supporter. If not, you can contact us via email at fancrafts.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. And you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash effectively wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We will be back with one more episode before the end of the week, which means we will talk to you soon number one grass, baseball podcast this stat cast is stat blast
0: tops plus when the stats need contrast zips and steamer for the forecast coming in high big boss on a hovercraft no notes minor league free agent draft Burn the ships, flames jumping forward now. Cow FEMA, boning on the bat shaft. Makers on the butt feet, never say your hot seat. Games are always better with the pivot table spreadsheet. No ads, subscribers will support us. Vroom, vroom, fast on so your slog to rig a mortise.
3: Rest in peace, Sam. Rest in peace, Jeff.
1: What am I trying to say, Ben? (laughs) What even words? You know, like if we were picking some, which ones would I pick? (laughs) Oh, boy. Um...